Amen. Please be seated. We'll turn again in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and our text is verse 8. I'm sure you know about that pivotal moment in church history when Martin Luther stood before what was called the Diet of Worms and was called to give an account for his labors, his writings, his teachings, and the impact of this on his day. And we think of that as a marvelous moment because there he stood and there he said, here I stand. But the fact of the matter is that that's not the whole story. In fact, uh, the first day he stood before all these people, it was an august group, uh, princes and kings and dignitaries, not only in the political realm, but especially in the religious realm, ambassadors and bishops, archbishops, papal legates, and people who had the power to... uh, destroy him religiously and also destroy him physically. And on the first day when he was asked to answer for his writings, answer for his books, give an account for his books, we're told by those who were there that he was clearly overwhelmed by the situation, clearly overcome by the pressure that he was facing And there were those there who said, uh, by observing him, they believed that he was about to collapse. Perhaps you've been in situations where you felt yourself to, to be about to collapse under the pressure. And you haven't felt very bold, and you haven't felt very much in command of the situation. Well, that was Luther. He asked, actually, for some time. He asked for time to consider And uh, they gave him a day, and he came back the next day. And it was the next day that he said, here I stand. I can do no other. It's the second day that we remember. But the first day was just as real. So there's the overwhelmed Luther and the stable Luther. And what causes the difference? Well, it's grace. It's not intestinal fortitude. It's not uh, Teutonic steadfastness. It's grace. Grace brings the change, and grace equips, and grace stabilizes, and grace gives you a spine, and grace enables you to stand firm. Our text says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency... In all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So grace explains Luther's stand on that day. It's the same with us. Our struggles don't have the kind of historical significance and pivotal significance in church history as Luther's did, but our struggles are real and our struggles are difficult. I remember some years ago when I was sitting at the airport 
uh, about to fly somewhere where I was supposed to do some work and feeling again uh, overwhelmed, a, fe- a feeling of, of inadequacy and insufficiency, feeling overcome by the situation and accidentally running across this verse in my Bible. You know about accidents. I don't need to explain. And I ran across this verse and felt tremendously strengthened by the fact and the knowledge that God gives grace for all circumstances, no matter your weakness. And in fact, especially in light of your weakness, God gives grace. He's glorified. You're strengthened and his work is done. Now, you will have, I think, understood the uh, context in which we find this verse. And you know that the context is one in which Paul is encouraging the saints in Corinth to give and to give generously. There are needy saints in Jerusalem, and Paul is traveling around the Gentile churches to take up a collection for the Jewish Christians, the Christians in Jerusalem who were Jewish background believers, and he's taking up a collection from Gentile background believers, and then he will take that gift to them in Jerusalem. And he's saying to them, remember to give generously. Why should they give generously? Well, because that's how God gives. God gives generously. God gives grace generously. He gives grace in a lavish way, and he lavishes his grace upon all believers. So give generously then, for the God who gives to you gives generously, and as a result, all your physical and all your spiritual needs are always going to be supplied because you have that kind of God. Now, our focus tonight is not going to be on the responsibility that he places on them uh, to give, but rather on the example that he references as to how to give. Give like God, because God gives generously. He gives grace generously. So we're not focusing on the responsibility. We're thinking about the supply. We're thinking not about the people, but about the Lord and the fact that he gives grace generously to people like us. We're going to think about the God of grace, then the variety of grace, then the blessing of grace, and finally, the receiving of it. So, we'll think about the God of grace. Our God is a God of grace. No other God in the world, no other God in any other religion, any other sect, any other group is a God of grace. There's one God of grace. There's one religion that is a religion of grace. All the rest are religions of of works, even Catholicism, which tips the hat to grace, but what they do is to take grace and then they add something. Whenever you add something to grace, you destroy grace. And when you add something to grace, it's no longer grace. Because then you've contributed something. But no, Christianity is the only religion of grace. Grace is a big word in the Bible. Dr. Packer says that the word grace contains within itself The whole of New Testament theology. I think there's great truth to that. And grace uh, is part of the warp and woof of New Testament teaching. Let me quote to you from Dr. Packer. This is from a book of his entitled uh, God's Words. I think it's called something else now. I have the uh, 
well, I have the addition from the medieval times, but uh, uh, the one that's published recently is a slightly different title. But Dr. Packer writes about grace. Each chapter focuses on a different uh, New Testament word, but different biblical word. And this one, this chapter is, uh, is on grace. And he writes this. He said, grace is a word of central importance. The key word, in fact, of Christianity. Grace is what the New Testament is all about. It's God is the God of all grace. It's spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. And all the hopes that it sets forth uh, to rest upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord who upheld Paul with the assur- the Lord up- upheld Paul with the assurance, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace, says John the Apostle, came by Jesus Christ, and so on and so on. Grace is a massive word, especially in the New Testament. So much so that, again, Dr. Packer notes that when uh, Paul writes his epistles, he changes the way they wrote epistles in those days. Now, remember, when they wrote letters in those days, they weren't emails. Emails have no form, no real construct, and no real beauty. They just communicate a little bit of information. When they wrote letters, there was a form to it. And usually there was some kind of greeting, and then there was some kind of conclusion, some kind of farewell. And usually you'd open the letter by saying, greetings too, something like that. Well, when you read New Testament epistles, for they are letters, Paul and the other writers change it. They say something like this, grace and peace to you. They always begin like that, grace and mercy and peace to you. Because that's so important in the Christian life. They conclude by saying something other than farewell. They conclude by saying things like this, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. It's absolutely vital. Dr. Packer continues, it is often said and truly that the theme of the New Testament is salvation. Thank God for that. But the New Testament's salvation is of grace from first to last. It is the grace of God that brings it, Titus chapter 2. And the praise of the glory of God's grace, that's the end of it. That is, that's the purpose of it. We're saved by grace. Grace brings salvation into the world. And the reason God saves us is for the praise of His glorious grace. Paul says that three times in Ephesians 1, 1 to 18. It thus appears that rightly understood, this one word, grace, contains within itself the whole of New Testament theology. Now, the word grace, the Greek word grace, is used in the Old Testament Greek translation to translate three very beautiful words. The first word uh, is a word that uh, it, uh, the Hebrew is chen, and um, the idea of it is something like this. The person who receives this grace, this favorable treatment, has no right to expect that of the person from whom he receives it. He has no claim on that person. He has no rights in front of that person. He cannot say, I deserve this from you. He cannot say, I expect this from you. He cannot say, I have a right to be treated this way by you. We often say things like that. We often might say to people, well, I don't deserve to be treated by by you in this way. Well, this person 
who receives grace has no claims upon the person to whom he's speaking. And if he were not treated well, he'd have no recourse. He'd have no grounds on which to complain. And if he's treated well, it is simply because of grace. And that's where we stand before God. We have no claims upon the Lord. There's a second word called ahaba. And um, this is about love. This is about uh, electing love. This is described, this kind of love is described by uh, one writer as spontaneous, selective, unconditional, unevoked, undeserved love. Unevoked, undeserved, and unconditional. This is not something that you merit. This is not affection that you deserve. This is not the kind of love that one would expect. No, this is uh, entirely undeserved. And then there's a last word that I'll mention that sometimes translated grace or mercy or pity or steadfast love. And this is the word chesed, and it means something like covenant faithfulness. The basic thought behind it is that God is resolutely loyal to those upon whom he has placed his affections, and he will stand by, come what may, he will stand by the promises he's made to them in his covenant to them and with them. Faithfulness. That's our God. He's marked by faithfulness to the covenant promises which, to which he has bound himself. He was under no obligation to put himself in a covenant relationship with us. This is mercy. This is grace. And having put himself in a position where he's made covenant promises to us, he will stand by each and every one. We're saved, you see, by grace. The God of grace... That's what we're thinking about. The God of grace. What does grace mean? It means God's riches at our expense. That's how we define it sometimes. What do we mean by grace? Well, we mean unmerited favor. How can we describe grace? Well, Newton said it was amazing. Um, This grace is grace that we received at conversion. We're saved, says Ephesians 2, By grace, through faith. The God who saves us is a God who saves us by grace. And then we receive grace at every point after our conversion. The God of grace, who saves us and whom we serve all the days of our lives, is a God of abundant grace. Ephesians 2, verse 7, Ephesians 1, verse 7, says that God is rich in grace. It's the God we serve. He's rich in grace. And as a result, at every stage along the pathway, we receive grace. John 1 tells us that Christians experience wave upon wave of grace. Stand by the ocean and uh, watch the waves, and they come in again and again and again. And I could go on all night. And you'll stand there as long as you want, and you'll see waves come in. And uh, John 1 says that that's what grace is like. 
The God of grace is always giving us grace. He's always sending grace our way. He's always equipping grace, equipping us with grace. Wave upon wave upon wave upon wave of grace. And that's vital because that's what we need. Newton understood this. And so he says, we're saved by grace. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. It was grace that taught me uh, to fear. And it was grace that allayed my fears. It is grace that has brought me thus far. And it is grace that will lead me home. It's not just saved by grace. It's saved by grace. And it's sustained by grace, and it's grace that sees us all the way to glory. That's the God we serve. He grants to us, he pours out upon us that kind of grace. And Paul's wonderful affirmation here is that God is able to give us that kind of grace. The grace that uh, Newton says we need every step of the way, we need grace to bring us and then we need grace to take us to glory. That kind of grace, that kind of constant supply of unmerited favor, well, that's what God provides. That's what God grants to us. He provides for us all that we need. So he's the God of grace. The second thing that we want to think about is the variety of grace. The variety of grace. We're told that a variety is the spice of life. And I suppose that's true. It's also a fact of life. Life is marked and characterized by variety, and that's what makes life interesting, I suppose. It's also what makes life challenging, because variety characterizes our troubles. Just turn for a moment to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we find there that the word uh, variety is used. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So the trials that are going to come your way inevitably in the Christian life, it's marked by variety. There's all kinds of them. And that's not pleasant. That's quite unpleasant. Because it seems sometimes as if they come wave upon wave. It seems as if they come uh, unexpectedly. They come unbidden. They come and they blindside you. And while you're dealing with this one, something else hits you from this side. They're characterized by variety. But the wonderful thing is that that same word is used by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 to describe grace. As each has received a gift, says Peter, 1 Peter 4.10, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So as diverse are the troubles that come, so varied is the grace that sustains you and equips you for uh, dealing with the trouble that comes your way. So what Paul is saying in our passage is that God gives grace for whatever you face. Whatever it is that comes your way, whatever challenge you face, God has grace to cover that. Grace that can deal with your situation. Grace that can equip you for the challenge. You're never left on your own. You're never left 
bereft of aid and assistance. No, God always has some kind of grace that's more than adequate for the task. Some kind of grace that's more than sufficient to equip you to deal with the challenge that comes your way. It doesn't always feel as if that's the case, but that's the biblical truth. And you can see it in the way Paul describes this. Back in our text in verse 8, notice what Paul says. Again, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, you'll notice the word that I emphasized there. It's the word that Paul's emphasizing. God can give you all grace. He can make all grace abound. You have, will have all sufficiency in all things at all times. So there are four alls there. So yes, we'll be fine no matter what happens. But there's not only four alls there. Actually, there are five because you'll see you may abound in every good work. That is, you'll be able to handle every situation. Every is the same word that in the four previous instances is translated all. So really, there are five there. Five alls. So can you think of any situation then that is not included in this verse? Any situation that, not, that is not covered by this, uh, this grace that God will supply? Well, clearly, this is meant to be pervasive. It's meant to be all-encompassing. And Paul is telling us, no matter what challenge comes your way, no matter what affliction befalls you, you'll be all right. And because God can give you grace for whatever the situation may be. Well, let's think about some of these things then. Let's think about uh, the variety of God's grace. Think about the fact that God can give you grace to learn. Let's turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. God can give you grace to learn. We feel sometimes as if we don't learn very well, as if we are spiritually obtuse. The fact of the matter is that God is able to overcome that. God is able to deal with that. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So grace has appeared. There's a sense in which that word grace is uh, describing the Lord Jesus. Grace has appeared. Christ has come. He is the embodiment of grace. And that grace saves us. Furthermore, that grace trains us to renounce ungodliness. That's an interesting word, trains. It's the word we get pedagogy from. Uh, years ago, there used to be a Christian publishing company in Burlington called Paideia Press. That's, that's that word. Uh, it, it's there to teach. We're publishing books to teach people. Pedagogy is about teaching. So grace can teach us. You read the book of Proverbs and you find all kinds of teaching, warnings about this and clarifications about that, wisdom about this and, and encouragements in that. And the grace of God can teach us these things as we study the scriptures. The grace of God comes 
and helps us to understand and grants to us wisdom. We feel ourselves to be very bad students in the school of Christ, but grace is able to take us right to the head of the class. God can teach us. He has grace to teach us. Then he gives us grace to be strong. He gives us grace to be strong. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because, you see, Christians have to endure hardship. You're never going to escape hardship. You're never going to float to heaven on flowery beds of ease. That's a different religion. It's not our faith. You're going to face hardship. It's going to be tough. And it's not going to get easier when you get older. The golden years are not the golden years. They're tough. And there are all kinds of challenges, new ones, things you thought you've left behind, but they're they're challenges that come your way. It's going to be hard. We read in Job chapter 3, verse 25, For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Christian life's going to be tough. Years ago, a man died, and uh, his wife, when I met her, she gave me a hug, and she said, she whispered, that which I have dreaded has come upon me. That's what happens. The thing that I've dreaded has happened. Well, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you face those things? How do you face the things that you dread when they happen? And you prayed that it wouldn't happen, and then it happened. How do you cope with it? You prayed that it would go away, and then it didn't. How do you handle that? Well, that's what this is about, you see. God gives you grace to be strong. Because sometimes he just doesn't take the thorn away. Sometimes it's just there. It gives you grace to be strong. It gives you grace to be pure. Grace to be pure. Flee immorality, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Well, how did Joseph find within himself the wherewithal to flee immorality when he was away from all the prying eyes? When he was in Egypt and there were... None of his people there to see. None of those who are of the faith to witness. How can you be strong, Joseph? How on earth can you say, I will not do this and sin against my God? Where do you get the strength of character? Where do you get the moral strength? Where do you get the integrity to be who you are? And to not feel liberated by the fact that the watching eyes are not watching anymore. And I can do this and get away with it. Where do you get the moral strength to stand firm and flee immorality? Well, listen to Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher and a fine Christian who had a way of expressing things that were, was uh, quite beautiful. He said, to change a man into a saint, grace is necessary. And he who doubts it either does not know what man is 
or what a saint is. If we're going to make you a, a saint, grace is required. You might be as determined as determined can be. That's not going to cut it. Grace is required. Martin Luther wrote, Our nature has been so deeply curved in upon itself because of the viciousness of original sin, he cannot be freed of his perversity. Turned in, that sin, turned in on itself. Man's nature, our nature is so deeply curved in upon itself because of the viciousness of original sin that we cannot be freed of our perversity, except, he says, by the grace of God. There's only one thing that can change us, only one thing that can equip us, only one thing that can strengthen us to be pure. And that's, uh, that's grace. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He'll give you the strength you need by grace. And he'll provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. So yes, you're, you're given grace in order to be pure. Grace to be unafraid. We need grace to be unafraid. Maybe you think that you're not a fearful person. I think we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're, we're not fearful because, you know, we're not afraid of certain types of things. And then we think we're unafraid. But we're actually afraid of other things. Maybe you're afraid of death. Or maybe you're afraid of the future. Or maybe you're afraid of the death of, of loved ones. Maybe you're afraid of economic uncertainty. There are all kinds of things you might be afraid of. You might be afraid of being left alone. You might be afraid of being a burden to your family. As we get older, those are the kinds of things we might wrestle with. Maybe it's the the fear, as you get older, of being a helpless invalid. Maybe it's the fear of becoming senile. There are all kinds of things you could be afraid of. Children are afraid of all kinds of things, but as we were reminded so powerfully this morning, so are adults. And we must never think, oh, you're afraid of that? Seriously? I'm not afraid of that. We shouldn't treat children like that. We shouldn't mock children because of their fears. We have fears as well. But it's interesting, you know, again and again and again and again in the Bible, you hear the phrase, do not fear. Abraham. I mean, Abraham, the father of the faith. Don't be afraid. All the apostles are repeatedly told, don't be afraid. Jesus comes to them again and again and says, don't be afraid. Right throughout the Bible, again and again and again, God has to say to us, don't be afraid. God in grace and mercy says to us, God in compassion and understanding, repeatedly tells us, don't be afraid. And, uh, well, we thank the Lord for that. Thank him for that kindness and for that grace.
Grace and affliction. We need grace to deal with affliction. A grace to deal with our troubles. Grace to deal with the affliction that comes our way. Just turn to 2 Corinthians again, and chapter 12 this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and beginning at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12, and beginning at verse 7. Now, you know the situation. You know that... um, Uh, Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh. He's had tremendous uh, revelations, and um, while it's had an impact upon him. So he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, but to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, for, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And um, Charles Spurgeon writes about this and says, The other evening I was riding home after a heavy day's work, and I felt wearied and sore depressed. If you struggle with depression, you ought to know Spurgeon often struggled with depression, often had to go on holidays because of depression or burnout or that type of thing. So uh, many of the many of our heroes, you know, they struggle just the way we do. He says, I was wearied and sore depressed when swiftly and suddenly that text came to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. And I reached home and looked it up in the original, and at last it came to me this way, this way my grace is sufficient for thee, for you. My grace is sufficient for you. You heard this morning's message. We were, we were witness to a message where the word you was used. This means you. This applies to you. Well, that's very important, isn't it? And so here, that's what Spurgeon is saying. My grace is sufficient for you. That's a wonderful thing. He says, I burst out laughing. I said to myself, I said to the Lord, I should think it is so. My grace is sufficient for you. And that's why Spurgeon continues and he says, Oh, brothers, And sisters, be great believers. Little faith will bring your soul to heaven. And great faith will bring heaven to your souls. And so in the midst of great affliction, you're all right. In the midst of great affliction, you'll be fine. In the midst of great affliction, you can say, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Because God will give you grace. You can say, as the psalmist in Psalm 73, nevertheless, I'm continually with you, and you hold my right hand. You'll be given grace for all circumstances. You'll be fine. You'll be quite all right. And then we get grace to serve. You get grace to serve. You'll notice in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, that there we're told that we're saved by grace. And then in verse 10, there are works that have been ordained for us, and we then go about those works that have been ordained for us with the grace that's been given to us by God. Grace 
uh, is given to us at the beginning and right through to the end. Salvation from beginning to end is all about grace. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.10, I worked harder than any of them, that is the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So grace equips you for what you have to do. Maybe God has called you to teach. Maybe he's called you to preach. Maybe he's given you the gift of helps. Maybe he's given you the gift of encouragement. Maybe he's given you uh, particular gifts to work in the context of a school. Maybe you're uh, uh, working in any number of areas. And the Lord has given you those kinds of areas of work that he gives you grace in those situations to work in a manner that is a blessing to others and is true to your integrity and your principles based on the Bible and is honoring to God. He gives you the grace required to serve in the church and beyond. Any service that you render is as a result of God's provision and God's grace. Think of... um, Think of Dr. John Piper. And when you think of Dr. Piper, you think of somebody who is, well, he's, he's preached to thousands. He's preached at conferences all over the world. Everybody knows John Piper. I can mention the name of Piper to any student I teach. They not only know about him and have heard about him, but they've listened to boatloads of his sermons. It's a very famous man, very accomplished man. But listen to this. Very quickly I knew, it's a young man speaking, he says, I, would, I knew I would never be a preacher because by the time I was in junior high school, I could not speak in front of any group. I was paralyzed with anxiety about it and trembled so terribly and choked up so completely that it was physically impossible to read or speak before any sized group. This is Dr. Piper when he was a young man. He says, I used to tremble and choke so severely that he was basically paralyzed if he was standing in front of a group like you. And then somebody came to him and said, would you pray in front of this group? It was some kind of campus meeting and there were several hundred people and they asked him to pray in front of it, that, that group. And somehow he got the courage to to do it and to pray. And he says, so astounded was he that the Lord had brought him through it, um, that he promised the Lord he would never again refuse an invitation to speak. Because he had prayed. He prayed that the Lord would give him grace to do it and that if he got through it without freezing up in front of 500 people, then he would serve him. And the Lord brought him through it. And, uh, well, the rest is history. How does that happen? That's grace. God equips. God gives grace for all the, the, the service that we render to him. And then, uh, not only do we thank him for the ability, but we also praise him for the results. And then God gives grace to persevere. God gives grace to persevere. Peter describes Christians as those who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That's 1 Peter 1.5. So, were you a Christian yesterday? Yes, you were. It's by grace, wasn't it? Are you a Christian today? Yes. It's by grace. I remember Bill Payne saying on many occasions, were God to withdraw his grace from you today, you would be apostate tomorrow. Apostate means you deny everything. That's where you'd be. I don't care how righteous you are today. I don't care how committed, how many theology books you've read. You know, you'd be apostate if God withdraws his grace. How does it work? Well, it works like this, you know. Here's Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian is in the house of the interpreter. Interpreter takes him into a room and um, shows him a fireplace. There's a fire just burning. And then there's a man standing there with buckets of water. And he's pouring water onto the fire, but the fire keeps burning. He's pouring, he keeps pouring buckets of water on it. Christian says, what does this mean? The man says, the interpreter says, he says, well, this, the fire, that's the, the spiritual work that grace has begun in you. Hmm. Now I'll show you something else, says the interpreter. Takes him around. See here, they see the fire here. Takes him around the wall. And on the other side of the wall, there's, there's another opening to the fire. And on the other side of the wall, there's another man. And he's pouring oil, pouring fuel onto the fire. And Christian says, well, what's that about? And, and the, the interpreter says, well, that's Christ. And he keeps pouring oil on the fire. The fire will never go out. He will sustain you. He'll keep you. You're kept by the power of God. You're kept by the grace of God. Grace sustains you. Grace brings you thus far. And grace will see you home. No question about that. If the saints persevere, it's because God preserves them. If the saints press on right to the end, it's because grace sustains them. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You're weak. Grace is all you need. And then lastly, grace to die. You get grace to die. We won't take time to turn there, but, um, well, yeah, maybe just, let me just read it to you. John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. John 21, verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, he's talking to Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And so Peter was going to glorify God, not only in his life and in his ministry, but also in his death and the way he would die. Tradition says he was crucified upside down. We don't know for sure, but we do know this, that he glorified God in it. And how did he do that? How did he face death in such a way that he could glorify God? Because the dying process is very, can be extraordinarily difficult. When Paul says, from me to live is Christ and to die is gain, what that really is saying is to have died is gain. 
once you've died and gone to heaven, that's gain. But to die is hard. Having died is great. To die is difficult. And you see that in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian is going through the waters of death. And hopeful is also going through it. Hopeful is just walking along, making his way to the other side. It's, he's fine. His feet are touching the ground. Christian, his feet can't touch the ground. He feels as if he's going to drown. It was hard for Christian. It wasn't hard for hopeful. Hopeful helps Christian. Dying can be tough. How are you going to make it? Because some of you probably are terrified of death. Understand that. Grace will sustain you. You'll be fine. All kinds of grace for all kinds of situations. That's what Paul's talking about. The variety of grace. As varied are your troubles, infinitely more varied is grace. Brings us now to the blessing of grace. Move along more quickly now. The blessing of grace. Well, what does Paul say? He says that we are blessed with sufficiency. Again, chapter 9 and verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So, you're sufficient. That word means a condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. You're fine. You're sufficient. Over the years, when my mother was old and increasingly weak. Um, she is a Christian, and I'd often say to her, you know, I, like, I don't worry about you. I'm not worried about you. Because you'll be fine. I mean, you're saved. What's the worst going to happen to you? You die. You go to heaven. It's fabulous, you know? And she felt that way. Why is that? Well, because we're, we're sufficient. God gives us grace for life and grace for death. The word sufficient was, was popular in Paul's day, popular with the, the philosophers, popular with the Stoics, but for a different reason than Paul used it here. For the Greek philosophers, they were very much like North American alpha males. So they'd say, well, if you're independent, strong in yourself, well, then you're sufficient. You've got to stand on your own two feet. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And you're strong. It's like alpha males. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm a, you know, I'm a man. Well, that's just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Don't buy into that nonsense. And we're weak people. And uh, Second Corinthians is saying, well, that's just fine. Because God's grace is sufficient. You may have noticed in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, that Paul magnifies, under God, he magnifies weakness. He says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In fact, the whole book of 2 Corinthians emphasizes that kind of extraordinary reality. I have a book at home on 2 Corinthians that says, strength through weakness. And so when we acknowledge our dependence upon God, when we refuse to be independent and acknowledge our complete dependence on God, when we stop fooling ourselves that we know we're strong and acknowledge our weakness, then, then God's strength infuses us. Then grace uh, is granted to us. 
And then, then we're strong. Then we're able. Then we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do all he calls us to do through the grace and strength that he gives us. So the blessing of, gra- of grace is that you're sufficient. You can face whatever tomorrow brings. Whatever's coming around the corner, and you can't see it, can you? Because it's around the corner. And you might dread it. You might be concerned about it. You might be afraid of it. It might cause you to tremble. It might cause you to wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. But you can face it, and you'll be able to deal with it. Why is that? Because grace makes you sufficient for the day. That's the blessing of it. Now, lastly, the receiving of it. How do you get grace? God promises grace, and frankly, I want grace. How do I get it? Well, let me just read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to you. Sometimes, sometimes we get grace through people. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. And um, Paul says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, uh, so that, uh, that it may give grace to those who hear. So you see, you can be a conduit of grace for people by what you say and the way you converse, the things you discuss with them, the things you tell them about, and uh, the truths that you share, the knowledge and experience of God that you discuss with them. You can be a conduit of grace. You're not, you're not the giver of grace, but through you, God passes grace on to them. That's how you want to be. You know, there are people who, when you listen to their conversation, cuts like a knife. And there are people who, you know, doesn't matter how upbeat you are and encouraged, when you start talking, by the time you leave, you're going to be crushed. Some people, you know, they're just like that. They have like an amazing gift for that. You don't want to be like that. You want to be someone who's a conduit of grace. So that's really important, and that's true, and we want to be those kinds of Christians. But I want to emphasize three other things in terms of how you get grace. The first is by being prayerful. By being prayerful. This isn't rocket science. This is ask for it. How do I get grace to deal with today? Ask God. Is it that simple? I think so, because that's what Paul thought. That's why he kept asking in the New Testament epistles. He kept praying for grace for these people. Just keep saying, may the grace of God bound to you. When he says, may the grace, that's like a divine passive. It means like, Lord, please give them grace. So he's always praying for grace. So begin your day the way Paul begins his epistles. That's for grace. Just be dependent upon God. Grace for your work. Don't think, well, now, I'm, uh, I'm in secular work, you see. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Sunday school teacher full-time. I'm not a missionary. I, I work in secular work. Don't need grace for that. Yes, you do. You need grace more if you're in secular work because your work is supposed to be sacred work. 
All your work is to be sacred work. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And you need grace to live in a godly way in a secular context. No such thing for a Christian as secular work. All your work is to be sacred. And in fact, you can do work in a secular context in a more sacred way than some people do sacred work in this context. By grace. So you ask for it. That's the first thing. Be prayerful. Secondly, be humble. Oh, be humble. See, proud people don't need grace. Because proud people, they're okay by themselves. They don't need anything. Uh, they don't see their need, and so they don't pray for grace. Uh, they don't acknowledge their dependence upon God, so they don't lean on him at all. They don't cry out to him. And uh, frankly, they try to do all things by themselves. I can handle this. I can tackle that. Maybe if something earth-shattering comes along, I might ask for grace, but all the rest of it I can handle by myself. No, you can't. So be humble. And in fact, if you read James 4, verse 6, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, what do you find? You find that God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to those who know that they need it. God gives grace who knows that the, who, grace to those who know that they can't lean on their own strength, that they can do nothing apart from Christ. And so, yeah, be prayerful. And part and parcel of that is, is be humble. And, uh, and, you know, thank God for the fact that uh, sometimes he hurts us to make us humble. A man named Burke Parsons tweeted this. I read it in a book because I, I've never read a tweet, I don't think, ever, except if it's quoted in a book. Anyway, he tweeted this, I'm told, in the book, that he said, sometimes God breaks our legs so we'll fall on our knees in complete dependence on him. That's called grace, he says. That's good. That, that's good. That's why sometimes God breaks our knees. It'll drive you then to prayer, to call upon him in your need. So that's the second thing. Be humble. Thirdly and lastly, be a Christian. Be in Christ. See, now this is for you if you're not a Christian. Some of you perhaps are not Christians. And, and maybe you listen to this. You say, oh, that's great. Life, life scares me. I feel just insufficient. I feel weak. And I, I'm afraid to face the day a lot of the time. And I love the sound of this grace that equips you and strengthens you. I love the sound of that. And I wish I could have that. Well, I'm saying to you, it's all in Christ. All this grace, you know, the all, 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 all. All of that, all of this grace, all of this wonderful grace, it's only found in Christ. It's only available to Christians. Christ pours out wave upon wave upon wave of grace only upon Christians. So if this sounds like a, you know, a blessed life to you, if it sounds like a life that you want, then um, you come to Christ. You, you turn from your sin. You trust the Lord Jesus. 
and he pours more and more grace upon you, and, and you become a Christian, and then the rest of your life, the rest of your life, it's just more and more and more grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you saved us by your grace, that you sustain us by your grace, and you'll see us home by your grace. We thank you for this and pray that you will help us so that we'll remember this and we'll live in light of these truths and live by grace. In Jesus' name, amen.